as I said before, it is good to be back uh, with you guys today. As, as I mentioned earlier, um, Dad had emergency surgery, and so we went to check on him. And my sister-in-law also chose uh, last weekend to get married, and that was kind of eventful. My uh, Her aunt was supposed to take the pictures, and then they uh, she arrived at the place, at, at the chapel to take the pictures, and her camera was not working with her lens, and Another one of my my sister-in-laws had a camera but no SD card, and so uh, it, it was just it, it was uh, eventful. But it's it is good to be back with everybody, um, and and you know it's it's good to take care of some family things. As Charlotte said earlier, we uh, we also went down to Branson and watched Shoji Tabuchi. And as I put my jacket on up here a moment ago, I, I was reminded of Shoji because if you've never seen a show, that man changes coats often like every just every couple minutes he'll he'll come out in a different coat or or he'll stand up there and assistants will come out and and i mean he'll just keep talking and they'll put a new jacket on him and everything and i i got to thinking i might need to incorporate some of that into into one of these services that's that that might add some pizzazz so um but anyway today I, i'd like to turn our attention to luke's gospel so if you have your, your bible be turning to uh, luke chapter 18 and we're going to pick up in verse 9 in uh, just a moment, the, uh, if you uh, don't have a copy of the Bible with you today, it'll be up on the uh, screen in just a minute. But uh, Luke chapter 18 and verse 9, I've titled my sermon, A Tale of Two Sinners. And the passage that we're going to look at is a parable that Jesus told both to and about people who are, well, self-righteous. People who, uh, who think highly of themselves, and they also look down on others. They look at others with contempt. Now, those two things seem to go hand in hand, don't they? People that are self-righteous and looking at others with contempt. And what, what happens is people are self-righteous, and they begin to think that, that they're uh, a lot better than everybody else, and so therefore everybody else must be a lot worse than them, and they, they look down on them. They treat them harshly. They have an inflated view of self and a very low view of everybody else. Now, that was a problem back in Jesus' day, but can I tell you it's a problem today, too? You probably never have, well, you probably have run into a lot of people who are self-righteous. And I don't have any scientific studies to back this up, but I've heard a lot of anecdotal evidence. A lot of people who, who don't claim to be Christians, maybe they, they used to go to church, but then they had a bad experience in church. People who are unchurched, they, they have the same indictment about many Christians, and that is they are self-righteous. And no doubt there are a lot of people who are holier than thou, but not a lot of people are just plain holy. You know what I mean? They, they, they think that they are uh, king of the hill. And the problem with self-righteous people is they're also uh, self-deluded people because they're self-righteous, but they don't realize that they have a problem. Sure, they may say they, they have faults, but they don't recognize them, or at least they minimize the ones that they recognize they have. So what Jesus does is he tells a story about two guys, a Pharisee and a publican, or, or your Bible may say a tax collector. Now, it's hard for us to kind of identify uh, with these two positions because we don't have Pharisees like they did back then. Uh, so when you, when you read and hear Pharisee, I want you to think preacher. And when you read publican or tax collector, of course nobody likes the tax man, but it doesn't have the same stigma today as it, does back, as it did back then. They were very, very hated. And I remember, does anybody remember Bernie Madoff? He was at one time the most hated man in America. He was an investment uh, broker that ran a massive Ponzi scheme that that uh, defrauded thousands of people out of billions of dollars. So, so when you read publican or tax collector, I want you to think Bernie Madoff, okay? One is orthodox, 
The other is an outcast. Both of them are sinners, but only one recognized that they were. Okay, so in honor of God's word, please stand with me as we begin reading in Luke chapter 18, and we'll start in verse 9. It says, And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, as we look at this this whole exchange, this whole scene, I think these, these two men give us... A checklist, if you will. One is of a man that was justified, the other of one who is not. And as we look at these, I just want you to compare your own life. Take an honest look at these checklists and see how you compare. And I realize that whenever we start looking at stuff like this, when it gets a little uncomfortable, what do we start doing? We start to justify ourselves, don't we? We start to we start to say, well, now I have some extenuating circumstances. I don't want it. No, no justifying of any behaviors. Just figure out which one of these guys you're more like. Okay, the first thing I notice, if you look in, uh, at the text again, the first thing I notice about the self-righteous person is he went to the temple to pray. He went to the temple to pray. Now, you might be saying, now, Pastor, we're in church. Are you saying that all of us are self-righteous people because we're in church? Uh, kind of the, the, today's equivalent of their temple. No, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, praying is a good thing. And the Jews had specific times of the day that they were to pray, and they thought if you went to the temple that your prayers had, uh, had extra oomph to them, I guess you'd say, had extra power. And so uh, what they would do is if they, were, if they were able to, during those certain times of the day, they would go to the temple itself and they would pray. But sometimes they were not able to. Sometimes they didn't live close enough to. And so what they would do is during those times of the day, they would still stop and pray, but they would turn and they would face the temple to pray. Now you remember in the book of Daniel, Whenever uh, the king says, nobody can pray to any god except for me. Of course, he wasn't a real god, but that's what he said. That was his edict. And what did Daniel do? The Bible says they went up into his room. He turned towards the temple, which was far away to him, and he prayed. That was just their custom. And so, so him going to the temple was not bad. But, and in fact, if you look at the first eight verses, and I want you to just glance up there uh, at verse 1, Jesus is giving a parable right before this to show that men ought always to pray. All the time we should be praying. We should be persistent. So the problem is not that he prayed. The problem is how he prayed. And again, you've probably done some of this, uh, whether you'd like to admit it or not. First, notice that he stood and prayed to, or your Bible may say, with himself. He stood and prayed to or with himself. Now, again, standing to pray is not bad. That was the posture that the Jews had at the time. Whenever they would pray, most of the time they would stand with their eyes closed, their faces turned up towards heaven, arms outstretched, and they would pray. The posture is not the problem. But see, you remember what Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, uh, you need to be careful of these Pharisees. When you pray, don't do like they do. Because what they do... 
Jesus said, is they go out and they'll stand on the street corners. They'll stand out in other places where they can get lots of attention and they'll make these big long prayers so everybody can see them and they say, wow, when I pray, it only takes a minute or two. When he prays, it takes him 15 minutes. Have you ever been with one of those people that when they pray, they, they just keep going, right? I mean, they, and just when you think they're getting ready to say amen, they catch their second wind and then they start again. And, and uh, I'm not knocking long prayers because sometimes we have a lot on our hearts. But what I'm saying is these guys would do it all for show. And so when, it, when Jesus is saying this man stood and prayed, it's, I think the implication is here are all these people in the court of the temple and he goes up, he gets up in front of everybody, away from everybody else because he's holier than everybody else, right? He's making, he's making some distance so he can make a show of how holy he is and he begins to make this prayer. And, and again, it's not the, the problem is not the posture. The problem is the heart. And look, at, look again at what he says in, um, in verse 11. It says that he was praying to or with himself. This was, a, this was a monologue, a soliloquy, a great big word for it. Now, we've all had times when we prayed, and it didn't seem like our, our prayers got higher than the ceiling, Right? We've had times when we prayed and it felt like heaven was brass and our prayers just bounced off, the, bounced off the clouds right back down on us. That is not what I'm talking about. What I mean is, and, and he evidently didn't think that he was praying to himself because look at, look at his words in verse 11. Who does he address this prayer to? He addresses it to God. But just compare the Pharisees' prayer to Jesus' model prayer. What did Jesus say? Pray in this manner. Our Father which art in heaven... What? Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and so on and so forth. It's all about God. And then at the very end, there's a little bit about us. But what did this man start out with? God, thanks that I'm so good. Isn't that what he said? Thanks that I'm better than everybody else. It, the, Jesus said, start with our Father which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. He said, our Father which art in heaven. Hallowed be my name. I'm so great. And every, like I said, every, every Christian has had times when it feels like our prayers are ineffectual. But this man was not praying about some fault in his life. He was praying about how good he was. He was praying, he, he, and since he was most likely praying out loud, all those who were around him, guess what? They were hearing too. God, this is how good I am. And they were saying, oh my goodness, that Pharisee is so good. He's not like me. I wish I could be more like him. So he's not only telling God how great he is, he's telling everybody else how great he is. As one commentator put it, he confessed his virtues rather than his sins. And listen, if you, whenever you're praying, you find yourself telling God how bad somebody else is, and you're telling good, God how good you are, you've got a problem. You're self-righteous. In other words, if you're more focused on somebody else's sin than your own sin, you have a problem. What did Isaiah do in Isaiah chapter 6? Isaiah said, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and, and the train of his uh, robe filled the temple, and the seraphim were flying around, saying, Holy, holy, holy. And what was Isaiah's response? He said, Woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And, and, and he recognized his own sin. So the first problem was the way that he prayed, but also notice again in verse 11, uh, we're, when we see that we're replacing God's standards with our own, it shows that we 
are having some problems. Look at verse 11. It says, The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He replaced God's standards with his own. And what, and what I mean is, he was comparing himself to other people. He was comparing himself to other people. He wasn't comparing himself to God. Now, he started out on the right path. He recognized he wasn't where he could have been. And we've all experienced God's grace. We've all experienced God's mercy. And it is perfectly appropriate to recognize, but for the grace of God, there go, there go I. It is perfectly appropriate to recognize, you know what? Uh, that person I went to high school with, you know what? I was on the same, the same path as them, but uh, God saved me, and he turned my life around, and that person, I see where I would have ended up if I would have kept on that path. It's, it's appropriate to say, thank you, God, that you intervened in my life. It's appropriate to say, you know what? I really don't agree with what that person's doing, but I recognize that if I grew up in the same circumstances that they grew up in, I didn't grow up in the godly home that I grew up in, and, and all these different things that have influenced their life, I recognize that if I would have been in that situation, I probably wouldn't be where I am today. Not as a, not as a matter of pride, but as thankfulness to God that he has worked in our lives in, in such a way that we're not there. That is appropriate. But that's not what this guy was all about. He was comparing himself to others to boost himself up. And, and we can always find somebody we think we're doing better than, can't we? I mean, you start praying and you start comparing yourselves. Well, I can think of this person that, well, they don't, you know, they're not at church as much as I am. And, and well, they, they cuss more than I do or, or they're doing this more than I do. You know, we can we come up with all sorts of things. All sorts of, of people that we can compare ourselves to and we think that we can justify ourselves. And then if we do find somebody, somebody comes to mind that's maybe doing a little bit better than us, we can justify that too, can't we? Well, yeah, I'd be doing that good too if such and such was going on in my life. But I've had this happen. We can justify ourselves. But instead, we don't need to compare ourselves to people. We need to compare ourselves to God. Compared to God, all of us fall short. Compared to God, all of us are, uh, are missing the mark. So he's, he's taking God's standard. He's setting that aside. He says, I'm going to compare myself to all these other people I think I'm doing better than. Again, we've, we've probably done that. Even if we don't do it in prayer, we've probably done that. Third thing. He focused on the outward behaviors of religion. He focused on the outward behaviors of religion. In verse 11, he lists all the stuff he's not involved in. And Christians are good at saying things that we're against, aren't we? We're known many times for what we're against. Sadly, we're not known for what we're for oftentimes. But look at verse 12. Then he starts listing off all these good works he's doing. I fast twice a week. Now, that's a lot. But really, it's a lot when you consider what the law said. The law said there's one fast that you have to do. That's on the Day of Atonement. Now, let's do some quick math. God says you have to fast how many times? Everybody say one. How many weeks are there in a year? 52. He's doing it two times a year, two times a week. 52 times 2 is 104. God said do it one time. He said, got it covered. I'm doing it 104 times. Go me, right? 
hear some pride in there. He's wanting a pat on the back from God. He says, I pay tithes of all that I get, or your Bible may say all that I have. Now, the Old Testament law said you have to tithe off your increase. He said, I'm tithing off everything. That means the herbs that he grows in, a, in his little uh, windowsill herb garden, he is tithing off of that. He gets ten tomatoes off that plant, he gives one of them to the church. He missed both the spirit and the letter of the law. He, he's far exceeding these things. And it's easy to get into that habit, isn't it? Thinking, well, if I do X, Y, and Z, I'm okay with God. God says I have to fast one time. I'll just do it 104. If one time will make him happy, 104 will make him 104 times as happy as if I just do it once. If, I just, if I'll just do these outward things, it doesn't matter what's going on in my heart, God will just be happy because I'm going through the motions. We, we, we think our faith is like a checklist of do's and don'ts instead of a living relationship with God. We think that if, if we'll do these certain religious behaviors, God won't look at our hearts. He'll overlook the, the hatred that we have in our hearts or, or, or the malice or, or the gossip or, or whatever it is just because we've done X, Y, or Z. And consequently, we think if we do a certain list of things, if somebody else doesn't do those things, what does that mean? Well, that means if I'm doing this, this, and this, and that's making God happy with me, if I see you not doing this, this, and this, God's unhappy with you. It's all self-righteous. It's all based in pride. And that's the last thing. The self-righteous person is a proud person. They're puffed up. And the problem with pride is it is a blinding sin. It's a very subtle sin because the proud person doesn't recognize the fact that they're proud. They, and if they do recognize, yeah, sometimes I wrestle with pride, but it's hard to and hard not to when you're as good as I am. You know, we, uh, if, if you have a problem with pride, you probably have a problem with self-righteousness as well. So that's a checklist of all these things that the Pharisee has, the man that was not justified. And, you know, if... If Jesus laid out a big list of things that we had to do to be justified before God, that would be really depressing. But he gives us two things. Two things this tax collector did that got him justified. First, we see a recognition of sin. The recognition of sin. Uh, look at verse 13 and following. And we see it all in, in this man's behavior. The first thing is it says that he stood far off. He stood far off. Now again, his posture doesn't make him more holy than, than the Pharisee. The posture is not the, is not the point. The posture just reflects what's going on in his heart. See, in the temple there were courts, and there was an area where you could pray. And so evidently this Pharisee was getting as close to the sanctuary as he could, away from everybody else, so everybody would see him. But the tax collector, he'd step right barely inside. BRBs, back row Baptist, Right? I guess maybe we think if the further back I am, the holier I am. Maybe that's what's going on in his life. No, he, was, he recognized, you know what, I don't even deserve to be in God's presence. I will get, I will get in this area because I, I, I'm supposed to, to pray, but I don't deserve to come close to him. I'm just, I'm just here to confess my sin, and I don't even deserve to be here. And again, it's not that his posture made him more or less pleasing, but what was going on in his heart was reflected in his posture. See, there's the difference. He realized he didn't have a right to be there to begin with. 
But we also see a recognition of his sin in, in, in his other actions. What does it say? Verse 13. But the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. He was ashamed. You ever had to confess something to somebody and you were ashamed? You, you just couldn't even look him in the eye? You just looked down at the ground. Man, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done this. I, you know, That's what he was doing. The Pharisee, man, he was, he was all about looking up into the face of God. And the tax collector... He, he wouldn't dare to even lift up his eyes. He wasn't proud or haughty. The, the Bible goes on to say, but he was beating his breast. He was hitting himself. Now again, that, that didn't make him pleasing to God. That's just a, an outward sign of deep contrition. He was sorry for his sin. And then we lose it in some of the translations. Some, of it, some translations keep this, but look at what he says. He said, God be merciful to me, the sinner. Now your Bible may say, a sinner. In the Greek, there's a definite article. He says, it's not, be, 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 sin, be merciful to me, a sinner. I'm just one of a bunch. He said, be merciful to me, the sinner. If there's ever a sinner, I'm him. He's not, see, the Pharisee was, was talking to God about everybody else, and the tax collector said, man, I, it's me. I'm the one who's failed. Be merciful to me. So the first thing is he recognized his sin. The second thing is he begged for mercy. He begged for mercy. He didn't list religious accomplishments to God. He probably didn't have any. He didn't compare himself to anybody else. He recognized the sin and asked God for mercy. Now, I'm going to give you just... I'm getting ready to unload some information on you, but it's good stuff, so stay with me. When he says, be merciful to me, the word mercy, the word that is used there is used oftentimes in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to speak of the mercy seat. Now, you might remember what the mercy seat is. Maybe you're like, oh, I remember that word from Sunday school. can't remember what it is. Okay, God said to Moses, make an ark, the Ark of the Covenant. Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the gold box, that's the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, now in that ark, there were supposed to be a few things placed, the most important of which was a copy of the Ten Commandments that God himself wrote. So in this, in this golden box is a copy of the Ten Commandments God wrote with his own hand. Over that, the covering was called the mercy seat. It was the lid, and it had uh, golden cherubim, which are types of angels. And over those angels was the Shekinah glory of God. That's where God would manifest himself. And, and so they would have this in the Holy of Holies. Now, one time a year, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would take the blood of the sacrifice... And he would go in and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. So get the picture. Here's God enthroned above the cherubim. Below that are the Ten Commandments, which man has broken. Between the two is the mercy seat, where the blood of the sacrifice has been sprinkled. This word that he says, when he says, be merciful to me, he's using the word for mercy seat. It's like he's saying, God... When you look at me and these laws that I've broken, look through the blood of the sacrifice. Show mercy to me. I, I want you to I want to be reconciled to you through this atoning blood. As the old hymn says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. He recognized that he didn't have anything to bring to God. So here's this Pharisee 
outwardly we would say he's 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 the one that's got it made. He's the one that's that's got his ducks in a row. But here's the punchline: this this low down, deep, unworthy sinner, this tax collector, was the one who was justified. Why? Because he he recognized his sin. He repented of his sin and he begged God for mercy. And that's the only way that any of us can be forgiven. We recognize our sin, we turn our backs on it, and we, we cast ourselves at God's feet for his mercy. Because we don't deserve it, we can't earn it. As someone has said, sin acknowledged and forsaken brings acceptance with God. The Pharisee, he didn't recognize that he had any sin to, to be forgiven of. So he didn't ask for any forgiveness, and he didn't get any forgiveness. But this this scoundrel, this crook, this tax collector was the one that was forgiven. And you can be forgiven. Maybe you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. You do the same thing the tax collector did. You recognize that your sin is a sin against God. You turn your back on your sin and you beg God for mercy. It's not an exchange. It's not a barter. It's not a deal. God says this is the way of salvation. You either take it or you don't. Or maybe you're a Christian and and you've gotten some sin in your life. The same thing applies. You don't get saved again. Once you're part of God's family, you're part of God's family. He doesn't disown you. But the Bible says that John wrote in his uh, in First John, I've written these things that you might not sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he's a propitiation for our sins. That means God's poured out his wrath that's coming to us. He poured it out on Christ. And not for our, us only, but also for the whole world. If, we'll do, if we will ask God to forgive us, we can have that relationship with him restored. Maybe, maybe you deal with self-righteousness, with pride. Same thing, you repent and, and beg God for mercy. Because it's so easy to sit here on a Sunday and think, well, I'm, I'm doing better than so-and-so because they're not here. I'm doing better than so-and-so because I saw what they put on Facebook. I'm, I'm doing better than so-and-so because, you know, we can list all these accomplishments just like the Pharisee. It's self-righteousness. It's pride. And pride is a sin just like any other one. The Bible says God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Why don't you stand with me as the musicians come? as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I'm, I'm not asking for public confession of sin. I'm not asking that you come up and announce all your dirty laundry. I'm not, no, I'm not, I'm not talking about any of that. But maybe there's something going on in your heart. You've dealt with somebody. You've talked about somebody. Maybe it's just maybe it's been silent. It's just been in your heart, but you're like, Well, I I'm just so much better than you. I didn't think those words, but at the at the root of it, that's what it is. You think you're better off. Self-righteousness. That's, that's the type of attitude that Jesus said 
that person went away. He, he wasn't justified. He wasn't made right with God. It's the person that recognized their sin and begged God for mercy. Heavenly Father, Lord, it's so easy to slip into this self-righteous, pharisaical attitude which thinks that we're better than somebody else. Maybe somebody's wronged us, they've hurt us, and, well, it's real easy to, to come up with reasons why you'd be unhappy with them but happy with us. Lord, forgive us of that because while what they may have done is wrong, we oftentimes turn a blind eye to our own wrongdoings. Lord, if there's somebody here who's wrestling with uh, self-righteousness, which, again, is something that we all face, Lord, I pray that you'd help each of us to recognize those things to repent of those and ask for your mercy, God, because that's the only only way that we can have any forgiveness. And we do ask that you'd forgive us. Help us to be loving, to be kind to one another. God, for that person that's maybe uh, hearing your voice for the first time speak to their hearts, Lord, I pray that you would convict them and let them know that the only way that they can be saved is through your mercy. Lord, help us to be loving to those around us as a church and as individuals and not self-righteous, puffed up with pride. Those who treat others with contempt, let us not be like that at all. In Jesus' name, Amen.